Hello and welcome to the Not That MJ podcast. Seriously, we're not that MJ. I'm your host, Matthew Dvorak, joined as always by my co-host, Jeremy Jamaku. Every week we bring a topic that the other has never heard before and come at it from a different angle. This week, I'll be kicking it off. Colin Kaepernick still has no job. The Cowboys are playing the third string quarterback, Ben DiNucci. To be honest, when he came on, I believe it was Cincinnati he came on against. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, or the uh, Washington football team. I think yes, that's when Dalton got hurt. Yep. He's actually, I liked his confidence when he first came on. He came on like he was ready to go. Testament to the coaching staff, although the rest of the team is really, really lacking behind. I just find it just, it's puzzling. Whenever Colin first was out of the league, the conversations I had with people who didn't like him or respected where he was coming from was always, well, he's not that good. He's not a great passer. And I always begged them to ask me or to, to answer me who he was throwing to. They literally had nobody on offense around the time Colin was there before he departed. Right? Uh, man, yeah, that that whole 49ers team in general was about in shambles because it wasn't much longer either after that or right around that time that Patrick Willis left and the defense started collapsing too. Absolutely. Everybody just kind of took off. Yeah, Ben DiNucci came in and started the third game. Not the third game, the as the third string last week or yesterday. Sunday. God bless. Um, after, and he played the rest of the game in Washington after Andy Dalton got hurt. Yeah. So. You know, I feel like if we, if we can have a more honest conversation regarding the whole Colin Kaepernick situation. And I think to a, to a certain extent we kind of had and we've kind of moved on, but I feel like we haven't or given it its due justice whenever he first came out doing what he was doing. I I remember speaking to one of my managers about it, and he was like, that is just the most disrespectful thing. That was when he was sitting down, and I agreed with him. I thought it was pretty disrespectful, but after he said he spoke to a retired Army vet, and he considered kneeling, or he suggested kneeling, and that's what Colin did going forward, I'm like, if you want to make a statement, I think that's the best time because you can only ask a people to, I guess, express themselves or demonstrate some type of protest in a way for so long until they're going to evolve into something different. And I feel like it was very, very peaceful in what he was doing because they asked him about it afterwards and he gave them a pretty good answer, in my opinion. It wasn't anything belligerent, didn't come off too aggressive. He spoke his mind. And he answered the question of why he was doing what he was doing. Then the media comes in, kind of rubs people the wrong way, presents it a little bit differently. It gets misconstrued. But now, and all of a sudden, the media is praised for pointing attention to what Colin was trying to do a couple of years ago. It's a little appalling to me. Well, if you notice, it's always some of the same people, you know, media or otherwise, you know, the same people who will praise him now, we're probably blackballing him then. And we're, you know, condemnation, you know, nothing but vigor and hate over the whole thing. Um, yeah, I remember hearing what you're talking about. You know, he actually spoke to, I believe it was Nate Boyer, um, long snapper for the Seahawks and a couple of other teams, pretty short career, uh, but retired Green Beret. And he asked him, he was like, hey, what is, what is the best way and the most respectful way I can do this? And, you know, he suggested that himself. So 
and plenty of army vets have come out since then, you know, the people who were actually (laughs) that people are being offended for in essence. That's crazy. And they're saying, yeah, it's perfectly fine. This is, you know, I fought for the right for you to have this opinion or to make this protest. You know, it's, it's standard. Is it first amendment is free speech? And that's what this falls under. Uh, freedom. I believe so. Freedom of speech. Freedom of assembly, something like that. I mean, it's in your basic, you know, liberties and rights. And he's not doing anything disrespectful, but people just continue to misconstrue and misunderstand or blindly, rather ignorantly so, choose to misunderstand that it's not about the flag and the troops. It's about black people being treated terribly by the police, you know, police brutality and anything of the like. And I also want to add that it, it really seems to me that it's very, very, uh, it's very specific when they choose to turn a blind eye to these kind of things and choose not to actually listen to the message being brought forth. Because people always want to throw up, well, what about MLK? What about Martin Luther King? This man got assassinated. I don't know if people are registering what happened to him, right? And I feel like it's just an easy way to say, if you do it this way, then it'll just work out fine without realizing People hated him back then. It wasn't like they praised him whilst he was alive. This was years after he was dead that people started coming out and finally respecting what he was doing. I mean, now you have almost every other politician saying, let's let's remember Martin Luther King as we go through whatever we're going through. They love quoting him, but it seems like his message is not really received. So I wonder how empathetic people really are to his message, his, his life to be honest, and also the message that is being disseminated to the public when you have new people, like, for instance, Colin Kaepernick or Avery Duvernay or these different people who want to speak on this issue. I feel like if we never have a proper conversation, we can never really move on. Because although it is the past, we can still feel its remnants to today. It's never going to leave us if we never address the wound. Correct, correct, and I can agree with you there. So that being said, let me ask you, and I'll definitely let you lead on this. What is that conversation? What necessarily does it entail? I mean, obviously, we could probably spend a lot of time on that. What, in essence, what does it entail? To me, in my my point of view, I believe it starts with properly educating or being on the same page as to what actually happened and how we still feel that to this day. I hear a lot of people saying, well, slavery was a long time ago. It doesn't really affect this. They never really bring up how, specifically on the other side, yeah, you had slavery, people being restricted, but then you had a group of people who were allowed to benefit off of these things. And you can talk about generational wealth and how it's passed down. I always wondered, like, as I was young, like, why is every NFL owner almost white? Or why is every successful person almost white? Are black people just not intelligent? Do they not achieve these? Do they not have aspirations? to achieve these things as well. It, it didn't make sense to me. But as you sit back and start to ponder on these things, you, you have to understand that the history isn't really taught in the way it's supposed to be. I remember in third grade specifically, when I first came to this country, I always wondered why we always talked about the genesis of black people in America at slavery. But we never talk about where they came from and the history behind who they are as a people. So it's these specific little little tactics used to mentally oppress people that kind of keeps us chained up and lets us flow in a way where we never really are allowed to have these proper conversations. And this is a really, really, really dense topic. That's just a very, very small part. I don't want to turn this into a whole semi-documentary about all these different things, but I feel like the conversation has to start 
with education. And I agree. I mean, how can you how can you know to avoid something or know to not do something a certain way, even when it inherently feels wrong? Or how can you know, especially you know, a lot of white people seem uneducated or hard-headed almost about hearing certain things. You know, the whole white privilege conversation and you know, police brutality. Racism isn't real because you know it hasn't happened to me or I haven't seen it. History said, you know, they always say history repeats itself, and you know, those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. So, if you don't educate yourself about your past, how can you know where you stand or how to go in the future? And even just to add to that, if we can't even agree on what actually happened in the past, there's no way we can even take or even attempt to take a step forward, you know? Because you have people denying certain things when this is just factual. Like, no, this actually factually happened, and this is the reason why things are the way they are today. But people want to, I don't even know how to explain why people want to be like that, because it's never going to let us move forward. And that's what we all want to do. And whenever we bring up the conversation of white privilege, for instance, I had someone ask me, do you bring that up so I can feel guilty? And my question is, what is your guilt going to do for me, for you, or for anybody? We're in 2020. Like People are just tired. Nobody's trying to make anybody feel guilty to make you just feel bad about yourself. People want tangible change. The whole thing with the NBA doing the vote, doing the Black Lives Matter on the back of the jerseys, the different message, is very, very beautiful to see. But at the end of the day, I know they did take steps to um, make things better, especially since with the voting and all that. But people just want to really see tangible changes. I feel like a lot of the um, just the talk or the, just the, the um, actions that are represented by, I guess, flattery words, but no action behind it. It's just, it's just getting lost. It's falling on deaf ears. So I feel like actions need to be taken more. In essence, it's all smoke and mirrors and it's the same, you know, spiel that people have been given for hundred, you know, a hundred plus over years now, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's only going to get worse if we don't really address it, as I was saying earlier. Right. So <clears throat> let me ask you a question in regards to the NBA thing, you know, because they had the whole, you know, they the Bucks stepped off the court. They were willing to forfeit game five, Giannis said, against the Magic and they stepped off. They, you know, uh, postponed all the games for a couple of days. Right. And, you know, they had a meeting and this there was serious consideration. Reports came out that they were going to talk about not doing the season. And that was one of the concerns that a lot of these guys had going into the bubble to begin with is, you know, it's been months. We're all dying to play ball. Any, you know, you know, LeBron and all those guys, you know, they all live to play ball and it's what they love to do. So they were probably dying more than anybody to see the NBA get back to action. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them did express concern that back to the bubble would take away from what was going on. You know, you had George Floyd recently and all of the Black Lives Matter protests that were, you know, very sustained for quite some time, probably still going on now. Um, it The wave really took off this time, it seemed. And, I mean, I think it was the first time that, what, all 50 states had protests? I believe almost, yeah. Like, from, you got to think, Alaska, Hawaii, and coast to coast. That is insane. I never thought I'd live to see that day. And especially when you look into the crowd, it was almost at different places, of course, majority white young people in those crowds. I never thought I'd live to see that or even just live to to hear the different conversations that were had on on the media, different media circuits. Absolutely. So my question to you is, 
Do you think, you know, that all being said, do you think the NBA players would have been better served by A, either not going into the bubble at all, or B, do you think they should have taken that stand that day when they, you know, postponed everything and said, you know what, the names are cool and everything, but I want something done. If you guys aren't going to help, we're going to go get it done ourselves, and we won't be here to do it. Do you think they should have left? Yeah, I don't see why they could have done both. I, I understand if they want to say we want our full attention to be just on this specific issue, and then there are things that they they like. These people are they have they have some some level of wealth. If they were to come together and take certain steps, they could really really make change just on their own, right? Um, the fact that they are playing, they're still able to earn a living with that, and they can do things post the um, the playoff championship. I don't see why you can't do both. But I also understand if you want to say we just want to focus specifically on this issue and not play at all. But for me, again, I think they could have done both. I think they, they did a pretty good job in doing both, but I've been saying this personally, thinking it to myself for years, that we can have a unity with the NFL and the NBA and just all these black men who are in these great positions that they set themselves in come together and actually make tangible change, you know, come down with the hammer and make forceful change. Because I feel like people are just tired of talking because these points are never, and I'm like, man, this is not a new issue. Like what I'm saying is nothing that's not already been thought about. As they say, there's nothing new under the sun, right? So people have already thought these things, already try to have solutions to this. Now we're in a position where we can forcefully make change, and I think that's where we need to go. So I think they, they could have done both, and I think they did to a certain extent. I would agree with you there, because <clears throat> you had, what, 22 teams go? A lot of them left after, like, the first week or so after the right. initial games and everything. You had eight teams stay behind, and you saw everywhere you went, you know, you had Trey Young, even Jalen Brown from the Celtics and Boston – Brockton, George Hill. Yep. Yeah, you had a lot of guys out doing things. So I think you're right. They can do both. There's no reason yeah. they can't do both. Right, right. And I understand why. I mean, God, just what a what a place to be. You know, you're try, you're isolated with only your teammates and peers playing basketball. You're away from your family. You're in a pandemic. It's 2020. You know, on top of everything that's already happened throughout history in your whole life, George Floyd happens. And I mean, it's just an emotional thing to do. And I can understand how I can understand the conversation that was had. Definitely. You know, do we play? Do we go and put all the focus into this? Are we are we helping or are we distracting? I think that was probably their biggest, you know, at its core, the biggest issue is, you know, I want to help more than I detract from. And what is playing doing that? I understand that. That, that, again, I would, I would agree and I would understand where they were coming from with that. So let me ask you another question, if you don't mind, as it relates back to the NFL. And in this kind of same realm of conversation, how do you feel about the Rooney rule and what needs to change on that? To be honest, like the mere fact that they had to have that rule speaks to the society we live in already. So already I'm already skeptical, skeptical about how that would be implemented. But I do believe it has had its benefits in a lot of different areas, which is good. But again, the fact that we do have to have that rule <laughs> just speaks volumes to me. Yeah, so to go into the rule, I'm, I can't really speak on it too specifically, but I do believe it it's a, revolves around you have to um, interview at least one black individual for an open position. Is that is that right? 
I don't believe it's necessarily specifically black, but yes, during your hiring process for any executive, I think it's, I don't know if it's every coaching job plus your executive jobs or just like your head coaching up through the executive chain. During the process, you have to interview at least one um, minority candidate of minority. Yes. We, we have to do this, so we're going to run this by. Same thing, well, I don't want to compare it to the affirmative action necessarily because those are people who are qualified to have those jobs, just given that opportunity because it was restricted from them in the past. But again, just the fact that we have this rule, rules never really change people. People are only going to change people. We can do any type of rule, pass any type of legislation, but if people are not willing to change, I don't really see what is going to change. I think now we have a few more black faces in higher places, which is nice. But then again, the NFL, I believe the players is like 70% black or African-American, if you will. But it's just not represented higher up. And that's always been fish to me, like I said earlier. So I guess it is, it is a good thing, but we can do better. We definitely can do better. I absolutely uh, love the affirmative action, you know, comparison there. Because I was thinking that myself, actually. You know, it's just uh, – but to me, it's not even that. You know, like you said, affirmative action was more of a, you know, we need to do something to actually help these people a little bit, even some way, Right. Right. This feels more like uh, because, you know, affirmative action guarantee, almost guarantees the spot. It, it, it's set aside to say, hey, if you're smart enough out of all these other minorities to come get this spot, come get it. You well, know? compared to everybody, you know, just just not minorities, compared to everybody, if you're qualified for that job, you, you can have a higher chance of getting it. You're right. My apologies. My mistake there. But. The Rooney Rule seems more it, it, akin to kind of the jerseys on the back of the name. You know, there's no guarantees of anything. All we have to do is put on the show of, oh, my God, look at us. We interviewed Eric Bieniemy and Ron Rivera and Marvin Lewis, but we're going to go with Joe Judge. Of course, they probably already had their mind made up. I don't want to be too much of a... Um... Bruh. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure they already had their mind made up. You can't... I believe it was just on the... Um... Uh, special teams assistant? Yeah, like special teams assistant in New England? Yeah, something like that. But I, he's, they, they play hard, though. You know, I think sometimes people feel like whenever we speak on topics like that, we're trying to disrespect the person who got the job. It's just more so, what was your qualifications? And then the whole nepotism situation kind of comes in. Nepotism for sure, my friend. And I am, you know, being the avid fan of college football that I am, I completely understand it. Nepotism is rampant in your coaching trees. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's – but it, it, if you think about it, it's not a new concept. It's just essentially the same not. concept you have in the business world. You know, they Absolutely. call it networking then. That's what they call it in the professional world is we call it networking instead of nepotism because it's not that I'm your son. It's that I just know you. Whatever you want to call it. Same thing. I'm I'm a brother. I'm a son. You know, I, I'm a godfather, aunt, uncle, family, friend, cousin, you know, whatever. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And all it does is leave unqualified qualified people out in the cold or in positions where they're frankly under – or they're overqualified for. I'm sorry. And it's leaving dudes like Joe Judge in charge of an already poor team – it just is nuts. I mean, it's, I guess the idea is it's a Bill Belichick coaching tree hire, but not even a coordinator gig? Hey. Like, nothing? Eric Bieniemy is out here in Kansas City doing that with Patrick Mahomes and that offense. And, you know, you could, granted, you could argue it's under the air Andy Reid 
coaching sure. tree, whatever, you know, same concept, but at least there's results there. And I think the, the, the thing that comes up, I guess I'll say, not that I'm speaking for the whole black community or people who look like me, but everyone just wants an opportunity. Like just give me a chance to fail instead of not paying me any mind at all, or just dressing it up and saying, you know, at least we talked to you, but we're going to go in a different direction. You know, even if you are overqualified for that position, like, you know, everybody just wants an opportunity to shine or to show that they can or can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was an article actually that I read on a website called the ringer. I believe it was by a man named Tyler Tynes. Great, you know, great journalist, pretty good articles. Definitely recommend checking them out. But he talks about, you know, the whole Rooney rule and the, the lack of African-American or any other minority coaches or African-American specifically in the NFL. And he interviews Anthony Lynn and, you know, a few others um, and a couple like college coaches that didn't, you know, weigh in on the whole thing. But an interesting quote was, it's kind of like comparison to black quarterbacks. I don't want to get one. You have Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, you know, Cam Newton, all these guys that are just like the top or near the top level of their game. Right. But he talks about how it needs to be dudes that are average that get the chance to try and fail, not just mm. spectacular ones. When you get the guys that get the average chances, when you get the Ben DiNucci's, but in, you know, black quarterbacks, that's when you can really start seeing the change because it's not just, I have to be the spectacular thing and MVP level to beat all these guys out. I'm getting the chance just because I'm getting the chance. Yeah, but I don't know if you heard of an artist named MK Asante, but he basically says, you know, whenever you're black, you have to take two separate notes. You have to work twice as hard just to, to equal that of a, a white individual. And I think that's kind of where they were going with that, that quote as well. I believe Stephen A was talking about it with Donovan McNabb whenever Nate Peterson with the Buffalo Bills from a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember him or if I'm butchering his name when he was and in the position. Nathan, Nathan Peterman. Peterman. My gotcha, gotcha. God. Yes. So who I let don't know that guy remember. be a football field, man? I can't remember who he was drafted by, but he was with the Buffalo Bills. You know, he went through his little situation with them. He had an opportunity to go to Oakland. Mm -hmm. I believe he was actually given an opportunity to play. And just like you're saying, it has to be the average black quarterback who can be put in a position to show that he can't do that. And I believe Stephen A credits him. He made a really, really good point. When it comes to black quarterbacks and white quarterbacks, for a black quarterback, you have to show that you can do it. When it comes to a white quarterback, you have to show that you cannot do it. Fair enough. It's basically you have to succeed versus you just have to not fail. Right. And Marvin Lewis was actually an interesting case because he, you know, went middling to poor with Cincinnati for so long. And he actually, you know, kept it for a long time. And that's good. But now the dude is like a defensive coordinator in Illinois in the college football world. That is a steep drop for someone who held a head coaching position for almost two decades. Right. Who had Carson Palmer, you know, Andy Dalton. Chad Ochocinco, Geno Atkins, AJ Green, some notable names in there over the years Absolutely. too. Yep. So, but when you get the average guys, you need, what was the guy's name that was in St. Louis? Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher. I was thinking about the same name. <laughs> when you get the black Jeff Fisher, then maybe we'll be getting somewhere, I guess. The crazy part is Mike Tomlin. I remember he was on the hot seat, I believe last year or two years ago. He was literally on the hot seat. That is just crazy to think about. He's been a consistent head coach, in my opinion. I mean, I think he only rivals 
Not that he's in the same class, obviously, but rivals Bill Belichick for consistency. Very much so, and he does it so quietly. Now, whether that's because it's Pittsburgh and they've kind of always been that, you know, blue-collar workhorse organization, or if it's because of who he is, then I can't tell you. But he's always seemed to do it very quietly, in my opinion. But, I mean, he's won a Super Bowl. They're consistently in the playoffs. They have been pretty dominant on the AFC North for the most part. Um, and he's always had just consistent high-level defenses. Like, I think for a decade straight, they've had quality defenses there in Pittsburgh. Yep. So I believe they're, they're getting back to that top-five mode. If not, I didn't know already this year. Oh, absolutely. They're, I think they're second in just about every category. They've led the league the past three years in, like, rushing the quarterback, I think sacks and stuff and anything like that. They are just nasty. And Mike Tomlin's done a great job of it. You know, he took over from Bill Cowart. He inherited Big Ben. That's a pretty helpful little piece of inheritance there. But he's kept it going and rolling. And great coach. Absolutely, man. I was more, I had a lot of NFL talk to talk to you about, starting with, Jeremy, let me ask you, who, in your opinion, is the GOAT, quarterback or otherwise, in the NFL? That's a really tough question, the GOAT. Let's keep it easy. Let's, you know, for comparison here, a little frame of reference, the Drew Brees versus Tom Brady thing, at least the quarterback GOAT. So, out of those out of those two, or another quarterback, who do you think is the best? Just the absolute GOAT quarterback of all Just time. the best quarterback of all time. Mm-hmm. In terms of accomplishments or with the eye test? It, that's the entire argument, so we'll get to that in a second. So I want your answer first. Beautiful. By de facto, I, you just you have to say Tom Brady because of his poise, his leadership ability, and the fact that he has six of them. I'm sorry. But, but if you go eye test... Let's get Patrick Mahomes, okay? Come back to that later. Man. Man. You work at McDonald's, Jeremy, with all those hotcakes, hot takes you were flipping there, man? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And also another name. Might be way too early. I really, really like Kyler Murray, okay? Those quick feet, nothing to play with. He really has an arm for a guy of his stature. I'll just leave, leave that there for now. Okay, okay. You know, Kyler Murray, I think, you know, all these dudes under six feet give all their credit to Drew Brees. He was the original OG. Of course. That dude was out there gunslinging, not even hardly able to see over his offensive line, but he was like, you know what? They're out there. I know it. <laughs> don't know how he did. Still don't. Right? So, and the reason I, you know, Drew Brees and Tom Brady is, you know, they're they're, they're going to trade shots back and forth all season with this whole all-time touchdowns record thing. Of course. You know, Drew Brees started the season with it. Tom Brady broke it uh, possibly during the Packers game or the game after that. And Drew Brees just broke it this past week against Chicago. You know, so I expect them to trade that back and forth just about all year. Um, but, you know, you look at just about every statistical category other than those touchdown passes, of course. Completion percentage, all-time completions, total yards. You have, I mean, just a slew of things. QBR, this, that, and a third. Drew Brees is just the top of just about every statistical category passing in NFL history. To me, I guess the question is, what makes a GOAT? Is it the rings or is it the numbers? In my opinion, everybody says numbers does not lie. I would beg to differ. I believe numbers don't tell the whole story. They're very much incomplete. Drew's a great quarterback. It's just not up there. 
I'll take a few guys ahead of him. If we're if we're talking about all time, I'll take a few guys ahead of him. But I, like you said, with the statistical categories, he's up there in almost everything. He's a phenomenal quarterback. He just doesn't have that it factor, and that's something you cannot coach. You have to be born with. Like the the LeBrons of the world, the Tom Brady's of the world, you can't coach that. You can't teach that. It's impossible. You have to be born with it. And I believe that's what really makes a GOAT. I know y'all watched The Last Dance with MJ. Some of the ridiculous things that we would think nobody should be thinking about is what drove him. You almost have to be insane to be great. It's a, it's a work ethic you have to put in, similar to Kobe Bryant and the Mamba mentality. You really have to want to different. You have to be different. So, oh, of course, I hundred percent agree with you there. You know, my favorite, my favorite thing, and you know, something that's been memed into oblivion by now. Um, out of that is, I took that personally. You know, that was that's that attitude you got to have. He said, "I took that personally. Mm-hmm. I'm, you're going to talk shit about me, Charles. You think you're going to do this to me in my final? I took that personally. You know, have to. So." Definitely. And I think Tom Brady, I definitely see that in Tom Brady, that's for sure. That same, I took that personally. That man's been playing on a sixth-round pick chip his entire career, you know? You just have to get it out of the mud, and he's really done that. He's earned his respect. I think a lot of people do give it to him as far as calling him the GOAT, but he acts in a way where he doesn't even think of himself at that time, not to say he doesn't have an ego, because you definitely have to have an ego to be that great. But he really finds a way, and I think that that's really the balance of finding a way to put yourself in that mentality of people still doubt me, I have to show them. Because if you get too right. comfortable, you begin to slip. Right. I mean, to speak to the ego thing, do you remember after that one, and it might have been the Atlanta Super Bowl where they had that massive comeback, um, where he had that commercial that uh, aired immediately afterwards where he's putting all his rings in a safe deposit box. And then he pulls one more out of his pocket, the fifth, and he's like, oh, by the way, one more. It had to have been the Atlanta one, actually. You want to talk about an ego, man. (laughs) You have to insure them, right? What else are you going to do? I think that's why he mounted that comeback that he did, because he's like, bro, this commercial's already paid and aired for. (laughs) They're airing this bitch either way. I am not going to look like this. I am not getting outdone by Matty Ice today. No, sir. The You know, a lot of my favorite teams, as you know, the Spurs and Patriots in particular, I remember there was a time I was watching, it was a playoff series between the Clippers and the Spurs. The Spurs were getting blown out, I think almost by 20 at half. Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, and Pop were on the sidelines, and they were talking, laughing. In my mind, I was like, what are y'all doing? Because I had to go to school the next day. And had a little, I don't want to say a little bet, but, you know, a little back and forth, something going. So I'm like, why are they not focused? They're over here laughing, enjoying themselves. They came back and won the game in the second half. Uh, they were having a little interview afterwards. And then the reporter asked Tony Parker what they were talking about. And Tony Parker said, Popovich was telling us about a time he had this really expensive bottle of wine at a restaurant. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Who does that at a time of despair almost? Like the composure you have to have to have that kind of comeback, specifically with Tom Brady, is unreal. We just have to keep playing. So it's a lot of respect to Tom for that. Absolutely. I mean, that's Tom Brady, you know, has earned the definition of ice in his veins. That man is stone cold. Yes, absolutely. Stone cold gets it done just about every time. 
And I know a couple of weeks ago when we last, you know, we were last on together, I talked about looking in that game, how he looked a little washed, the arm was looking noodly. I think the next week he came back and posted like four touchdowns and 300-something yards. So, yeah. So, LOL at me. Um, speaking on Tom Brady, him and Gronk yet again hooking up. Uh, they just tied Jerry Rice and Steve Young, I think, for the all-time touchdown combination. Like passing receiving duo. All right. But 93? 93. That's really amazing if you really think about it from the tight end position to be able to do that. It's just dominance right there. Absolutely. You know, the rings obviously matter. Six rings, you can't argue that. But you cannot go. I think an argument can be made that you can solely call someone the GOAT based off the stats. You know, because I'm sure people thought Dan Marino for a long time after he ended with the most, you know, career passing yards, probably thought he was the hottest shit for a long time as a quarterback and no one was ever going to come past it. I think you can't look solely at rings and say that same thing, though. Of course, I, I would agree with that. But at the same time, numbers are just so incomplete to me that they don't tell the whole story. Right? We look at a Barry Sanders. I mean, you just look at him and you can tell he's oh. different. When I look at Saquon Barkley, he's just different. I'm sorry. I, I would take him over any running back probably in the past decade, to be honest with you. The only person I would make me change my mind is, is AP, Adrian Peterson. That's the only person. Boomer Sooner. I can agree with you there, because, I mean, just my argument is always people talk about rings, and it always brings to mind Derek Fisher to me for some reason, because, Mm. you know, know, would you rank, like, Carl Malone over Derek Fisher in the greatest players all-time list? Of course, every time. But he has more rings. Yeah, but it's – Derek Fisher has more rings, so he's better than Carl Malone, right? Get out of here, guy. You're garbage. I mean, you know, we have to put everything in context, of course, but I agree with what you're saying. Absolutely. Correct, correct. Within context. But, you know, like I said, I just don't think you can solely go off rings. Your most accurate, obviously, is a combination of both, especially when you get down to the guys that both have – that don't have rings, you know? Mm. So, speaking of rings, is Eli Manning a better quarterback than Ben Roethlisberger? No, to even ask that is so disrespectful in a sense. Maybe a little bit of my hatred because I saw a little commercial. I don't know why they picked that commercial when he escaped the pocket to throw that pass when he should have lost the Patriots in the Super Bowl. It's just it's something about him. I I, I want to say it's not hatred. I just don't like him. You know about Eli Manning, of course. Of course, I just don't like him. Okay, so it's disrespectful to Ben is what you're saying. Absolutely, yes, yes. We could probably do a whole episode on is Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame or not, because that's a discussion we'll have in about we'll have that discussion about five years from now. (laughs) But you know, Drew Brees, the dude only has one ring, and a lot of people could, you know, a lot of people might make the argument, you know, it was the Bounty Gate year. There's an asterisk; it doesn't count. He was carried by the Bounty Gate defense, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I think there's a solid argument to be made that Drew Brees is the GOAT. I think while numbers do lie, people say that numbers don't lie or wrong. I agree with you that numbers, mostly they can be just skewed to your to your point or to your perception. You know, Absolutely. People can take numbers and do whatever they want with them and make it look pretty for you, right? Exactly. Yep. But on top of every career category, that doesn't lie. I mean, that just does not lie. 
I think that that statement says, of course, he's up there. He's one of the greats. Probably Mount Rushmore. Probably. But again, there's just has to be something different about you. Only one chip. I have to look at you a little different. What happened? I mean, I don't know, because you can't say he didn't have a great coach, because we know Sean Payton is good. And Sean Payton has been doing he's he's been doing those Sean McVay things on offense since okay. Sean McVay was in like high school. For real, for real. True. So we can't say it's not the coaching. I could not always tell you I couldn't look back and tell you off the top of my head who like receiving core they had around him or what playmakers he had. You know, the only name I can even tell you for sure is Reggie Bush, and that was he was kind of a dud in the NFL. It's a little rough. So sorry, man. No excuses around here. No excuses. No excuses. Only chips. Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean I would I would tend to agree with you, Tom Brady to me is the GOAT. I fought it for so long and I didn't want it to be. I <laughs> I talk about, you know, I kind of feel about Tom Brady the way I felt about LeBron for a long time. Wow. Especially whoa, 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 whoa. Are you about to admit something? Just yeah, I'm about to admit something here. Just let me get it out. Damn. I you know, I felt about Tom Brady the way I felt about LeBron for a long time. It's you know, I hated them just because they were good. I it was wow. sports hate, right? I was a hater. I was a hater for a long time. And I wouldn't, you know, it was just sports hate. Not even hate you like I hate you, just like God, will you stop being what you are so we can all get a little piece of it for the love wow. of God. Jesus. I'm like LeBron every year for 10 years. Now, granted, the first run of that was, you know, my boys and uh, Dirk in the finals. So can't really complain too much about that. But the Tom Brady thing, I was like, I'm tired of seeing him, bro. His face is everywhere. I'm tired of seeing him. But LeBron, the the year against Golden State, the 2016 was the first year where I was like, you can't. How can you even hate that? That's I just. Mean, come on. How can you even hate that? And for Tom, it was that super. It was that uh, Super Bowl against Atlanta. You know, the epic twenty-eight to three comeback. You know, winning overtime. At that point, I was just like, bro. Not only does he have the most rings, he had. Uh, did he break the record for most rings by a quarterback or tie it that year? I think he broke it, beating Terry Bradshaw, who had four. He tied with everybody. Yeah. And I think that made him his fifth. Once you get the whole hand. When one whole hand is covered in ice, what is else is there to dispute at that point? Nothing really. Like, I, I Card you know, is kept secret. He's going back for another. I mean, well, I mean, he's already got what six? Six. Jesus. So, what like I'm saying, like, how can you? What is there to hate at that point? How, even if you hate the man because he's better than you, you can't deny greatness at that point. Respect, you know. I don't care if you like me, but you damn sure have to respect me. Period. Like LeBron said, where's my damn respect? Come on. The people who go out of their way to hate LeBron, it just they just make me wonder what's going on in their personal life. This man puts in the work. You can't say he's just benefiting from no. Whatever team he goes on, they go somewhere. He's literally a force of nature. You can't hate that. You can't disrespect that. I don't understand why people go out of the way. Maybe you, as a former hater, could expound on that. Is it jealousy? Part of it. Definitely part of it. I mean, especially at that time with the you know the Miami Heat whole the whole Miami Heat and the Big Three thing. Okay. 
If you were a Heat fan, you were loving it. You were eating that mess up, right? Mm. I got LeBron, D. Wade, and Chris Bosh all in prime. Come on now. Like, we're eating that up. Now, the rest of us, maybe not necessarily you being the Spurs fan, because, you know, you guys had all those good finals against them. Possibly. That makes sense, yeah. But a little bit is jealousy. A little bit is just, I don't know. I couldn't tell you, man. I mean, I... I was fortunate enough to have Dirk, so I had somebody to always love. So I only hated LeBron having to face him. Having to face oh, him, okay. that sucks. Because, I mean, for me, it's always like he's such a upstanding role model. I don't know if you find guys like him ever. And, you know, being the color that he is, representing that community is like a lot of respect for him for doing that, especially at the young age he came into. People called him the chosen one when he was like what, 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Cover of magazines, selling out arenas. He's carried that on his shoulders. He's carried organizations on his shoulders. You just have the utmost respect for him. The fact that you can just hate him just because has always baffled me. But I, I understand him when it's the jealousy. I'm guessing you wanted him to come to the Mavericks, right? When he made his decision? Not even necessarily. Because here's the thing I didn't start getting into basketball until 2010, until about that year that it happened. Gotcha. Um, I remember the year before the Mavs won, I started getting into it, and then they won. And, you know, that summer before, obviously, the decision had happened, LeBron went. I don't know. Like I said, it was mostly because I was just – same way I was seeing Tom Brady. I was just like, dude, these dudes always win. These same dudes always win. I hate this. I'm ready for somebody else. I want some fresh stuff in here. But LeBron didn't ask your opinion. He didn't ask my opinion about the finals. He didn't care what I thought about the finals. He said, Devo, just because you said something to me, I'm about to go to the finals for the next decade straight, and you can't do shit to stop me. I mean, what and were like, you saying about Cam when he was dancing? If you want me to stop dancing, keep me out the end zone. If you want me to stop dabbing, keep me out right. the end zone. Exactly. Like, it, it's the same concept, and I won't get into too much detail about it, but when people are like, don't run the score up, it's disrespectful. I'm like, if you can't stop me from getting in the end zone, that's your problem, not mine. I agree to a certain extent, but that one specifically, I remember there was a time I had just been moved up to varsity, and the opposing team dropped 70 on our heads, and there was talk that they wanted to go to 100. That's, come on, hey, come on, come on, it's too much. I'm not going to tell you how much we scored, I'm just, come on. I mean, I get it, but I just, like I said, I would never do it. Pers- I talk about this big game, but in every real-life situation, I wouldn't probably run it up. But at some point, it becomes a, a mad fact, a matter of, like, if you can't stop me, yeah, I understand. Yeah. that's your that's problem, true. not mine. Like, so, it's just like in soccer when you see these big, you know, these, these massive six-goal, or the seven-to-one Germany-Brazil game, man. Hey, you think Germany tough. cared? You think you you think Yoakum Lowe cared about that? No, man. They were putting them goals on you in your own home stadium, no less. In Brazil, playing Brazil, 7-1 dropped at home. So, to wrap this conversation up nicely, I would agree. Tom Brady is the goat over Drew Brees. Um, like I said, I think you can solely pick a – I think you can make the argument for a goat based solely off stats, not solely off rings. Um, Best way is a combination of them both. So, but even on that conversation about the goat and football, it's just so hard 
Because it is. other positions don't really get the shine. But of course, I have to speak about my defensive tackles because that's my position. Aaron Donald is literally a monster. He is the best defensive player I have seen. It, I don't know. I I can never fully commit to him or Mac as being like the dude because they just one up each other almost all the time and shit they do. For me, it's, it's going to be Aaron Donald simply because I'm doing it at that position is literally the most hardest. <laughs> we can literally scheme out a way to make sure he doesn't get involved, and he will still find a way to get involved. Absolutely. Much. Absolutely, I agree. Because, you know, linemen in general have never been a glorious position until of late. You know, especially like offensive line, you have your left tackles, the blind side. Those are big now. Um your other premium position on the defensive line is your ends, especially your edge guys now. You have, you know, you can come across that edge and get them sacks. You will get paid big money. But I think you're right. To do it in the interior lineman position, it's never been glorified. It's never been loved. But it's always been like where a lot of, you know, it's been where the ugly stuff goes on is in those trenches. Trenches. And Aaron Donald, you know, he's brought the respect back on their name. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. To do it, he does it in such a special way. I don't know if we would ever see another person, player like him, ever. With his stature and his ability, some of the workout he does is like a running back workout. He's literally a monster out there. It's really not fair. Absolutely. And I mean, your second best other than there coming up now is Chris Jones. I think Aaron Donald especially paved the way for inside dudes to get paid. You know, he got a massive, you know, five-year, 130-something million-dollar contract a couple seasons ago. Your boy Chris Jones off the Chiefs just got paid this year. I think they settled on, what, like 80 over four, something of the like. Something like that, yep. So It's more deserved for him, too. He's really putting in work down there. Absolutely. Well, dude, because that's the thing. Aaron Jones is a monster. Chris Jones is a different type of monster. (laughs) Chris Jones, to me, is like the old-school defensive lineman, nose-tackle type guy, you know? Yep. Mike still rush. Interior rush is so hard, but it makes it look pretty easy. Well, because your centers and your guards get, you know, you get double teams double so team. often, it's just such That's a higher rate. Those dudes coming across the edge have the advantage. Um, one-on-one. One-on-one, exactly. You know, and your edge is really all about your speed. It's an entirely different thing. I mean, you have to have speed all across the line to get that up and that go, but you can really, if you're fast enough, just kind of bend your way around to tackle. Mm-hmm. It is insane to watch Aaron Donald take on double, triple teams sometimes and just bully and bull rush his way through everything. I mean, in, in my lifetime, the only person I ever saw take on a triple team was J.J. Watt in his prime. That was something special to watch. Absolutely. It reminds me of this dude we played in high school one time, uh, Mario Edwards Jr. I think he might be in the NFL still now. Um, I remember in practice that week, our offensive linemen were making up ways like, because he he played inside and outside. He was playing like, you know, some of the like three shade and some like five. Mm -hmm. So basically what our offensive line coach was instructing our players to do is the center would snap, pop his man a little bit. Um, the guard would initially give that push on uh, Mario Edwards, the end, with the tackle. 
the center would abandon his dude up front and the guard would go back and take him and the center would loop around almost in like a 180 degree angle and come back and take him off the edge to keep him off the quarterback that's beautiful that's so much respect you know i i didn't quite get that but i remember one game i was i played that three technique a little bit i had the guard that was guarding me was just getting destroyed so they ended up moving him to right tackle and they brought the left tackle to play guard and so it was the left and right tackle basically just double teaming me the rest of the game. Made me feel really special about myself. That's that's a lot of attention to command, and it can really just destroy the game plan for an offense. So. Right. Well, I mean, you put in that much work. This is high school we're talking about. We're putting exactly. that much work on this guy. I can only imagine the work they have to do in that offensive film room and Aaron Donald. Like, right. what do you do? Like, what, what do you – how do you game plan manageably for that? You just can't. Those are people who are just a problem, period. There's no solution. It's just a problem. Got to deal with it. Precisely. Well, and the best thing about that is when you have a dude like that, it only benefits everyone around you. Absolutely. Especially the immediate effort is on that defensive line. You know, you have Leonard Floyd. You have Michael Brockers. Yes, I think so. You know, they have all those guys off the ends, and they only benefit from it. You know, Aaron Donald's picking up that double or that triple team. That leaves everybody else one-on-one, and we're eating. Yeah, they just have to eat. So it's beautiful when you see a guy not only dominate like that, but he's so dominant and complimentary that everyone else picks up the slack around him. Beautiful, beautiful. Very much. So already on the GOAT conversation, who's the defensive GOAT? That's really, really tough. That is really, really tough. I would have to go ahead and just say, I'm going to say Aaron Donald. I'm sorry. I feel like I have to apologize, but I have to say Aaron Donald. You're going to disrespect LT like that? Absolutely. Sorry. Lawrence Taylor has entered the chat and would like a word with you, sir. We'll talk about it. I'm sure he might even agree with me, but Ah! I'm sorry. I'm just saying to do it from that position... Do it from that position in this modern day. You have to be different, and he's literally just built differently. He is. He really is. I mean, he is just like. First off, watching that dude with his shirt off is just not fair. <laughs> that dude takes his shirt off, and I'm like, bro, put that shit back on. Like, did you watch any of the Hard Knocks this past year where they had them I in the saw, Chargers? I saw on? clips. Yeah, I saw clips. Did you see the one where it was like one of the like second or practice squad cornerbacks? He was out there talking mad shit and he was out there flexing. So, you know, he was out there talking about Aaron Donald always takes his shirt off for practice. So he runs up there in front of the cameras. He's like, hey, Aaron, look. And I'm like, bro, Aaron Donald does not give a fuck about you. Get out of here. It was funny. But yes, dude, first of all, that's not fair. Second of all, just the way it's just nuts. I mean, you're right. There's There's no more words to be said on it. It is just insane the way that man plays and how dominant he is inside. You know, the only person I thought could have had that type of impact, and I've brought it up to you and you've laughed, uh, Jadavion Clowney, because he, he's built something different too. I haven't seen somebody of his stature move that type of way, but for some reason it's just not clicking with them. But Miles You're Garrett s- seems like... Still on this Jadavion Clowney thing, huh? I'm still on I, I, Hey, he's, he's too talented to give up on. Because you can't teach his intangibles. 
I can agree with you there. He's too talented to give up on yet, but I don't know, man. He's never really, in all that time, playing on Houston. Not just that. You're playing opposite of J.J. Watt in all that time. You ain't got nothing going. Nothing. I, I believe it's the way they used him as well, okay? I don't want to – I don't make an excuse for him. Maybe I will because he's just too talented for me to just say he doesn't have it because the, he does show flashes every now and then. I don't know. Something just needs to click. Maybe, I don't know, come down to Bill Belichick. We can work something out, figure out what's really what. But I think he's a special player. He needs a special home. And we need help in New England is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that man just said, hey, yo, listen, anybody out here listening, please help. Hey, help. <laughs> it's tough out here, man. I can't, I just, I can't watch anymore. But I'm not even I interested laugh. in the NFL anymore. <laughs> I laugh as a Dallas fan. Help. Help. Bro. Ugh. MVP debate, Jeremy. Who is it so far? We, we're going through about eight weeks now. Who you got? For me, it's still Russell Wilson. He's having a ridiculous season. 100%. And a lot of his games have been literally some of the best games I've seen in a while. It's been back to back to back. So for me, it's Russ. No question. Hopefully, he can actually get one this time. I would agree with you there, 100%. I mean, he is, you know, Russ has played great throughout the years. He's played very, very, yes, very good football throughout the years. I think he's definitely always been kind of under the radar and under-talked about, under-appreciated, even by myself included. You know, I always gave him his, I felt like I gave him his fair due, but even sometimes he's doing way more than that. And this yep. year especially, he is out here for it. My only problem with the Seahawks it's not even a real problem. Is people are for some reason saying DK could be the next Megatron or he could be the best receiver of all time. And I'm just like, honestly, I don't see it at all. He's, as an athlete, crazy. He's built different. But to compare him, you know, my guy Julio, to me, there's no comparison because he's not fluid enough. If you just want to go straight down, you know, just a regular fade, possibly he'll be up there. But for Megatron, Julio, I just I, I don't see it honestly. Uh, I would I'll agree and disagree. I'll agree with you that at least right now it's a little early to be saying all that. He did have you know a great second half of the season last year coming up. He's had a monstrous run to start this season. I mean, my God, 161 yards, 12 receptions, and two touchdowns this past weekend. I mean, they scorched the 49ers secondary. Yeah, he's so, having a great season. But I would agree that it's a little too early. But I think his route tree is coming along. I think he is a physical freak of nature at the receiver position. The likes we have not seen since Calvin Johnson, Julio, you know, very even like early Larry Fitzgerald. Remember Prime Fitzgerald out there? Oh, yeah. So very much like that. I think there's no saying he couldn't. I think it's very too early to tell. One season – of breakout and we couldn't we shouldn't be throwing it out like that i'm i'm sorry I, it's not that i hate him i just i could never see him being like i could never see him being anything close to julio i'm sorry i'm just gonna say it. i want to be a little respectful and just keep it going but I, I have to stop you there i no way he can be like julio he's just not fluid enough he doesn't he doesn't doesn't run after catch the way julio can like i'm saying if you want to go just straight down i don't think anyone can quite touch dk but the combination of everything and the wide out, I just don't see it. 
I think one one thing that helps is obviously Russell Wilson. You know, we, we obviously talked about the year he's having, but just him in general. Russell Wilson is a great quarterback to have to be throwing the ball to you, right? True. Yeah. I think the big distinguisher between him and Julio is DK does not carry Russell Wilson. They complement each other very well. Um, but I think Julio definitely carries Matt Ryan more. So you're trying to say Matt Ryan is not that good? We Yes. I'll tell you. I, I should have said that sooner. I'm sorry. Like we talked about, right? Matty Ice is yeah, dead. Yeah. There is no more Matty Ice. I don't call him that anymore. Nope. That it's is Matthew Ryan now. Yep. Absolutely. So. So are you saying Julio has been carrying Matt this whole time? <sighs> Definitely helps. Definitely helps. I mean... There's a reason Julio went out there and said, I want $60 million fully guaranteed over the next two years. <laughs> Being this trash-ass offense, man. I feel bad for him sometimes. It's kind of like looking at a Larry Fitzgerald. I'm like, why are you still staying here? Do you not want to win? Come down to New England, man. We, come on, man. Let's come down. It's the way I'm sure some people felt about Dirk for a long time. It's just people don't get the loyalty, and it – you know, people are, you know, sorry, I'm going to talk that. The conversation very well may be, you know, you need to go get one for yourself and yada, yada. But I think he just liked it there, man. I think he, you know, they always appreciated him and cared about him. And I think he probably loves the community and everything else. So, but yes, I can agree with you on that same feeling, sentiment is, guy, you got to, we got to get you out of here. We got to rescue you. Help, help this man. But then I guess it kind of goes into that conversation we had a little bit earlier where it's like we get offended for them, at their mistreatment, but they can speak for themselves. So like you said, if they wanted to leave, I'm sure they would have found a way, but Correct. if they like it there, then, you know, we got to respect that. Correct. You know, people always say Dirk should have left to get more rings or, you know, get paid more, but because I think I read something a few years back that Dirk over the course of his career has taken like $150 million in like you know, not necessarily pay cuts, but he sacrificed that on contracts and stuff with us over the years to stay here. And like, wow. I'm just, wow. I'm a little confused because what did y'all do with that money? Who did that go to? With Chandler Parsons and Wesley Matthews. It went into a first round pick with Ray John Rondo for <laughs> half a season and a first round exit. Um, it went into an aging – it went into DeAndre Jordan five years later after the fact <laughs> at $22 million for a single season, which we traded him halfway through for Kristaps. Um, oh, man. Yeah. I yeah. love seeing the Mavericks suffer. It just makes me feel good in my heart. Like, I remember the whole Rajon Rondo. I was still in high school at the time. They were so excited. We finally have a point guard. Lasted, what, a month or two? Bro, it was literally, I think it was a trade deadline deal. I remember, um, it was funny. Did you ever watch uh, Sports Nation on ESPN2? Of course, after school. Yes, dude, the good one with, like, Michelle oh, Beadle as the host, Max Kellerman, they Max. had Marcellus on there. Yep. Man, good times. Very good. Shout out to that show. Um, so, I remember after that trade, you know, they were talking about it, and Marcellus being like, this is potentially like a top five offense now. And I was like, I bought into it. I was drinking the cool. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and then playoffs come around and Rondo is all due respect to Rondo being a little bit of a diva out there, you know, out there fighting with Rick Carlisle and everything. And we benched him the rest of the series, lost to Houston in the first round, and that was that. We shipped him out after that. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, I'm not always going to side with the players, but I, I don't think he wanted to be there. That's that's the main reason why. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. So, but yeah, that was sad. That made me sad as a Mavericks fan. I loved it personally. Chandler Parsons, well, with him specifically, I actually believed in him. I actually thought Houston was stupid to let him just leave like that. Oh, bought into that bullshit, Jeremy. I, I, I really, really did. I was like, man, this is such a great three. Shoot the three. Defense is a little bit suspect, but his offense is only going to increase from here. What a, what a guy. I wish we had him down in San Antonio. Thank God the Mavericks saved the day as usual. Gotta love it. Jeremy. In the years I've been a fully committed Mavericks fan, it's been over a decade now. And we've been known for it long since then, too. We've always been the guys that go hunting and get nothing, right? (laughs) Every free agency round and season, we go hunting, and for what? We get nothing. A big, fat, steaming bowl of whiffs. You know what we get for our troubles, Jeremy? We get Wesley Matthews getting signed to the DeAndre Jordan money. We get... Doc Rivers, not Doc Rivers, you get Blake Griffin holding him hostage in his own house to sign a contract, fam. We got Chandler Parsons and 7.3 points per game over a $97 million contract (laughs) life for our troubles, my man. He's still a good shooter, okay? Chandler's a good shooter. Wesley Matthews, he can play defense, you know, with the three with the arrow, you know, fan love, fan attraction. Y'all love that, right? Being the eighth seed. Sometimes. Ninth. Y'all like that, right? Stop hurting my feelings, man. <laughs> Asshole. What about Raymond Felton? It's a pretty good point guard oh, for y'all. God, there. stop. <laughs> oh, God. Roddy Bobois? Uh, she was nice, right? Yeah. She was nice. She was good. Yikes. Oh, man. I said the team now, though. I remember when one of her Chris Stapps was available, I was hoping we would get him down to San Antonio. I was so upset that y'all got him to pair with Luca because I feel like y'all, those two are going to be a problem. I mean, a problem in, a few, in maybe two years or so. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Um, well, it was crazy because I remember we were at work and we got the little ESPN notification that Chris Stapps was on the block. And then not even like an hour later, Word broke that we had traded for him, and I was like, damn. I was sick. Dude. I was like, that means Mark called first, and the first – that the Knicks owner or the, the GM Knicks probably man. was like, bro, the first person that picks up this phone and wants this motherfucker, I'm sending him out. Just, I just – I can never understand organizations. Of course, there's things that we don't know fully in detail, but you just can't let someone like that just leave. I feel like they weren't properly compensated. Uh, two first-round picks, DeAndre Jordan, Dennis Smith Jr., and Wesley Matthews, and you think they weren't properly compensated. Chris Stapps is a unicorn. Chris Stapps is a seven for over seven feet, can play inside and out, a defensive monster. I'm sorry, no, he was not properly. Really? 
If the Knicks want to leverage, if on, the man. Knicks want to leverage their future like that, I'm gonna let them gladly. It's ridiculous. Gladly. Come on, you, you saw what the was the Clippers got for or what they gave up to get Paul George. We need something like that. That's what, and obviously, you know, he hasn't achieved all those things as Paul George has, but you can tell he's going somewhere. I could not even five. Five first-round picks over the next ten years. Come on, man. Bro. I'm sorry. It's three first. It's three first and two pick swaps, I think. For the Something like that. No, 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 no. The Paul George trade. It Paul was George. like three first and two pick swaps, I think. Um, no, no, no. Because Chris Stops was two firsts. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, Dennis Smith Jr., Wesley Matthews, I think. And Dennis. we got... Come on. We got Courtney Lee, Timmy, <laughs> Tim Hardaway Jr., and Kristaps out of it, I think. That's not fair. That is not fair. It's almost the same thing as what Chip Kelly did to Philadelphia a couple of years ago. I feel like he should be incarcerated for that. He literally destroyed that team and just left town like, all right, I guess it didn't work. Yep. It got just didn't Sean, work. Jeremy Macklin. What are you doing? Riley Cooper, because he blocks. <laughs> okay. But I think that's what happens whenever you have these executives who get, I don't know if it's an ego trip or they just get caught up in, in their way and they're not in touch with reality. The decisions, I, I really don't even want to talk about the whole DeAndre Hopkins situation, but it's just like, what's, what's, what's really going on with you guys, man? How does that happen? How it happens, Jeremy, is Bill O'Brien is the equivalent of that dog. You know, like any meme where you see a dog doing something a human's doing, like baking or flying a plane, and it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing? That's Bill O'Brien, the GM. Bill O'Brien, the coach? I mean, up until the past couple of years, really not that bad. Even last year, they made a playoff run and everything, but like, mm-hmm. he's had some down years, and they were really not bad, solid as a coach for the most part. Bill O'Brien, the GM, traded two first-round picks for Laramie... Tunsil. Was a uh, oh no 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 okay. I mean, they definitely need some O line help. They've always needed that. Two first rounds, it's definitely a stretch though. Yeah, but I get, I, but I get it though. But I get it. He he's a a well proven player. He's pretty good. Jeremy, I think calling it a stretch <laughs> is being generous, my friend. And then you trade D Hop. So you not only. Here's the thing about the DeAndre Hopkins trade that baffles me. Before that, you know, you had seen Minnesota go out and get a first-round pick plus a little sum for Stephon Diggs, who, in my opinion, Stephon Diggs is not as good of a receiver as DeAndre Hopkins. Not as good, in my opinion. Still warranted a first-round pick. Basically, the Vikings got properly compensated for that trade. Of course, as a normal GM would. That's just a regular thing. Or at least I thought it was. High talent usually just equals at least one first round. You go and trade Nuke, who over the past seven years has consistently been like a top seven, arguably top five receiver for a second round pick and like David Johnson for another overpaid busted running back contract. What? Don't even know what to say. It's just speechless, really. So, 
thankfully that Bill O'Brien is gone. Bill O'Brien, the GM and Bill O'Brien, the coach, unfortunately both, but at least the GM part's gone. It to me is the same as it's the same way Jerry Jones is our GM. Like, bro, it is not working. But I like that one. In in what way? Explain yourself. Uh, the way that it keeps the Cowboys down below, as they should be. You're a hoe. It's, it really suits them, in my opinion. It, it fits their personality. The big star, nice stadium. The per- it just it fits them. It's perfect for them. They're not that serious about winning, so. It's all empty calories. Pretty, I mean, you literally have great talent, and you add CD to the mix. Like, you don't need defensive help. Yeah. Definitely cowboy move, so. Yeah, you got it. No comment. <laughs> no, man, it's rough. I mean, Jerry is just, you know, good owner money-wise and good owner. He makes good money moves and everything. Great executive. I mean, there's a reason he's executive of the year one year. He's in the NFL Hall of Fame, for Christ's sake. But Jerry, the GM, is just – it's not great, man. I don't love it. <laughs> I think the man is just letting his ego get the best one he has for many years now. But, I mean, eventually I think he's going to come to his senses, even though it's been, what, about 20-ish years now? <laughs> I mean, what did the Cowboys always say? Next year, right? Bro, that's what we <laughs> say every year. Every year, Cowboys fans, man, we're going to be 2-14 and 14 this year, some garbage like that. And next year, you know what's going to happen, Jeremy? We're going to strap it up. Right. We're going to go out there and say it's our year. I like it. Got to love it. That's how you keep fighting. That's how you come back from 28-3. That, that mentality right there. Yeah, that's great. But I want that to be more in our team and not just our fan base. I'm sorry. This is entertainment purposes only. <laughs> we don't do all that real winning over here. I'm sorry. You got the wrong team. That's why we. That's why the players have to walk through a literal actual club to get to the field, right? <laughs> Special is it's beautiful though. Let's be honest. Love it. The Death Star itself. The Champions League started. Was it? Or did they have a game today? They did have game. Yeah, they've they've started. They've had games today. Yeah. Um, I don't remember who's been doing what. I know Cristiano Ronaldo finally came back for the events it was after that COVID thing. But did you hear about the little, I guess, internal problem with Real Madrid? Where Benzema was telling, I don't remember who he was, who he was telling, but he said, don't pass the ball to Vinicius. He's not playing for us. He's playing for the other team. And Zidane was basically like, you know, that always happens and it's been handled internally. So they're, they're good now. But wow. Yikes. <laughs> That's tough. That is tough. Dude, and how about, uh, how about Messi? That decision to stay at the Camp New is looking a little rough right now, man. But I heard somebody come out and say that he's actually very, very hard to coach, kind of like MJ. I was, I was a little shocked by that, to be honest. Why'd that shock you? That he's actually hard to coach. Messi is. Yeah, I mean, easier. you would think the guy has such an electric personality, you would think. But you never know. I mean, sometimes sometimes they're one way in public and an entirely different way on the court or on the field, you know? Yep. 
I mean, it's kind of like Ronaldo. You know, he gives off this flashy kind of thing. You know, he just has this very flashy vibe and very kind of the cool guy. Dude, you know, yeah, college role. We talked about Justin Fields. You know, your boy's looking good. Um, Trevor Lawrence sidelined for a couple of weeks because of the whole COVID thing. That sucks for Clemson. It really, really does. I feel like they will be fine. More so sucks. For, I don't. I don't think it sucks for Trevor at all. I think he's going number one regardless. We'll get to that in a second. That was oh. one of my other things. We'll get to that in a second. Wow. Um, this guy. <laughs> um, I think Clemson will be okay. I watched some of the Boston College game, and they almost lost. They had to make a little. They had to make a pretty good comeback on it, but. You know, they've got this, like, true freshman five-star quarterback they're starting right now. He was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. Um, he didn't look bad. Um, and obviously, the second half, they looked a lot better than the first. So, we'll see. Playing Notre Dame will be tough, though. I think they'll come out on top, honestly. I could agree with that. I could. So, Back to Trevor, though. We'll, okay, yeah. We'll, well, let's let's do this. Let me have one more thing for you. We'll, we'll get to there in due time. Okay. Heisman, what are your prospects looking like right now? I would say Justin Fields is more than likely probably a lead candidate at the moment, maybe just behind Trevor. I would actually have to agree with you, honestly. I think he's literally the second best quarterback. Trevor, to me, he's undisputed. There's no way he can't. You just you can't go against Justin. I mean, Trevor. He's just too special. The things that he's bringing to the table, again, you can't coach some of the, these things, so you have to take them. You just have to. Okay. Do you? Because do the Jets still believe in Sam Darnold? Sam Darnold is a quarterback. He's a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. The organization is really, really trash. I don't okay. think you can contaminate. Because I, I don't want, this is what I, I don't want to see. We rush these kids in prematurely. We don't, we don't, I don't feel like they prepare them enough. And then once they start slipping, I'm going to move on, a.k.a. Josh Rosen. I don't want to see that took, happen to Sam Darnold. Took the words right out of my mouth. I know you love that guy. I, I believe in him, man. I know he's with the Bucks now, and that's perfect for him. Is that where he is, for real? Yeah, I heard he's the backup. Okay. Sam can double-check that real quick. Um, nice. I mean, he's just, Josh Rosen admittedly has gotten dealt a pretty rough hand, gets drafted number nine, goes into that god-awful Arizona Cardinals situation. They offload him because Cliff Gernsbury comes in and wants Kyler Murray. Understandably, I don't blame you for that. True. So, so we got a tough break there, and then right after that, you get offloaded to the Dolphins, who between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua is just, what are you going to do at that point, you know? Like, that's just a rough deal, man. Okay, so if Sam Donald was to get moved, where should he or who should be knocking at their door? The important question to ask with that is, I think, what is he worth? What is it at minimum going to take to get him? Because they're drafting number one overall, I think maybe a couple of second-round picks. I don't know if anybody wants to go with the first round since they are drafting another quarterback. So, 
No, you, you're not taking a first round on him. No one's spending a first round on Sam Darnold. I think you probably get the Josh Rosen treatment. You know, you ship him away for a second. Um, something like that. One second, maybe a second in like a late round, fifth, sixth, seventh, something like that. Um, decent little draft haul, all things considered. But as far as who takes him, I don't know. I mean, who would even take a flyer on him, do you think? I would like to see the Broncos come knocking. That wouldn't be bad. The Broncos, maybe the uh, Jags. They don't. Have, they don't I was, I was thinking that too. I don't know how they feel about Gardner Minshew or not. Um, maybe even the Cowboys if they want to. I don't know. Move around. I just love drama with them. It's just exciting for me. I love it. Why not? How about a first? You're trash for that. <laughs> You're trash for that. They might even believe in him. Who knows? You know you're trash for that. I'm just saying. Bruh. So, I think of the Jaguars, maybe the Redskins, they seem very... Talk about a tough situation, Dwayne Haskins there. They seem very Man. down on him right now. Watch the football team, you mean. I'm sorry. You're right. The Washington football team, the Redskins are no longer. You're right about that. But we're really about to keep this Washington football team name for all time, aren't we? Yeah, I guess so, man. I guess God. so. Like, it's, it's really pathetic, honestly. It truly is. <laughs> I mean, can you just imagine explaining that to a kid? Why their name is just the Washington football team? Their, their name is themselves? Like, <laughs> bruh. Jesus. So, but with their quarterback situation as well. Dwayne Haskins. Well, Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones, I thought, were late around. Maybe late first. I never thought Daniel Jones should have been starting. But I understand why he was starting. I honestly thought he was going to fall to the Patriots. But that was quite a reach. And now we see what we're seeing. So, I can agree with you there. It's... Pretty rough to say the least, and I mean, I think you can't give Jones all the blame there. The Giants are pretty, yeah, roughly run at the moment. That he's performing how I thought he would, except for the turnovers. I think they said he has 36 in 21 games. That is a little too much. Like, you can fumble or you can throw interceptions. You can't pick both. You can't do both. You got to pick one struggle or another. Yeah, because then we can't help you. Because those are things that you can kind of help teach. But the fumbling situation, that should be a little bit more instinctual at this point in his career. Because he's been playing quarterback his whole life, basically. You just right. have to know better. Come on. Exactly. Like, you know, you you're the you're you start the play, you have the ball, you are the dude. Like you you gotta just hold on to it. You can't keep doing that. The only other quarterback I think who is feeling probably the worst would be Mitchell Trubisky. I'd be throwing up if I was him, because man, because you're never gonna forget what happened to you and what you did. They they traded up to get me, picked you over people who might be going in the Hall of Fame. Over Mahomes, Watson, Jesus, Jesus. So yeah, it's pretty rough. I agree. I mean, not just that. I mean, you got you have to sit there and watch Nick Foles run this offense now, and it is 
pedestrian. Yeah, he's probably thinking I could do that too. He probably could. Right. Well, he's probably sitting there looking like y'all took me out for this. this is the exact same shit I was doing. Like, <laughs> I'm a little faster. God. Literally on watching the uh, the Bears and the Saints game, they were talking about Nick Foles rolling out of the pocket, and they were like, "This is the one thing that Mitch Trubisky has on him is he has the legs. <laughs> he could actually move." And I was like, "Damn, man." I'm about to watch Joe Buck and Troy Aikman vindicate for Mitch Trubisky on TV right now. Man, that is tough. But so, I heard he's pretty, you know, pretty sensitive when he was at the facilities and people were kind of questioning him. He would kind of turn off the TVs or try to mute out the noise, but he wasn't doing quite a good job. So I don't know how, if ever, he could bounce back and be a starting quarterback again. The confidence, you know. That's why you have to take your time with these quarterbacks. This is a lifetime investment. People are so quick to just throw them out. Especially lately. I mean, like we talked about the Jed, you know, Josh Rosen. Dwayne Haskins is shockingly just getting shut out entirely by Ron Rivera here. Like, the man's not – he's third string on the depth chart at the moment. You brought in – how do you fall behind Alex Smith? All due respect, I love Alex Smith. It's a great success story to see him come back from – that leg injury and start a game. That all being said, you're going to put that dude who got basically Joe Theismann and you're going to put him above the depth chart above Dwayne Haskins? Disrespectful, in my opinion. It is, but to be honest, he wasn't really living up to his full potential. But then again, I, I don't know if we can blame that all on him, you know? I mean, it's... It's like any other team that struggles at the moment. You know, the the Cowboys have Ben DiNucci and Andy Dalton at quarterback, but that offensive line is giving them no help. You know, it's the same thing there. The Redskins are giving him no help on the offensive line. You're, a quarterback cannot be successful without those guys up front. You just, you can't. And young quarterbacks especially, it's been crucial to help them. You know, that's why... The Cowboys especially, they had set themselves up so well, you know, about four or five years ago with the end of Tony Romo and beginning of Dak's careers because they had just a premium offensive line. It was so easy. The transition was so seamless because of them. You know, you got Tyrone Smith, uh, Travis Frederick, and Zach Martin. Those are three all pros up there just murdering people up front. And it makes it easy for you. It does. Definitely does. So I think they're doing themselves no favors there, but it's just incredible to me to see what a change of, you know, a change of the guard with Ron Rivera in now, you know, and how we see Dwayne Haskins has fallen here. So it sucks, and I feel for him. Same, same. We'll just we'll see if he can bounce back. We shall see. So back to my other thing. Trevor Lawrence, you know, is the number one player on a big board. But if the Jets take him, if the Jets have him, or if the Jets have the number one pick, which it looks like they will, I don't think they take Trevor Lawrence unless they trade Sam Darnold beforehand. I would agree. That that would be the smartest thing to do. Because Sam Darnold doesn't seem like a bad quarterback to me. I think his environment is kind of, I guess, restrained him to a certain extent. If I was them, I'm thinking maybe 
um, trade down, try to get some more assets and actually build a team instead of just switching quarterbacks because who's to say what, what they're going to um, put on Trevor mentally? Right. Well, because you know that the talk for the past couple of years has been, you know, tank for two, a tank for Trevor, tank for all these guys. But Trevor Lawrence has been getting that shine since, you know, he was a freshman. He's a junior now. And ever since that October, when he took over as a true freshman and never went back, you know, took the job from Kelly Bryant, he has been rolling and he's been the talk. You know, he's been coming out as the Eisman favorite the past two years. He's, you know, Clemson is just about always bound and picked to be in the national championship or win it. Um, he's been probably being discussed as the number one pick in this draft for two years now, even before we got here. People have been looking forward to this for a long time, but I just don't think he'll be the number one pick. I think the Jets end up with it. I think if they're smart, they at least, like you said, give Sam Donald half a chance and build around him instead of just expecting him to be the savior and see where you go from there. I think he falls to one of those other top five teams in there, you know, possibly the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if the Giants are there, I, I would be considering Trevor heavily. I would too. Because imagine that backfield with Trevor and Saquon. Only if they had like a number one receiver to throw to, you know? Man. Yeah, because I mean, they got what? Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, a bunch of twos and threes around him. Nobody really that's like that true number one guy. I, I wonder if they would have, um, I don't know, kept Odell, you know? Because mm-hmm. I don't even know who they got with that pick either. They took the Browns' first round pick. I don't even know who they took with that, but you're still where you're sitting. And they're sitting nowhere pretty. It's tough. Got to feel for Odell. Yes and no. I feel for him being stuck in Cleveland. That was not where I wanted him to go. Um, I think he can be a bit of a personality at times. Maybe a little bit of a diva, some might say. But I also think he's an elite receiver. He still is a very, very elite guy. I mean, there's only a few of them who are just built differently from everybody else. Even if there might be a diva, cause a little problem here and there, as long as they're not breaking the law. Hey. Fair enough. Fair enough. If you, if you have a culture that can sustain them, it's not so much of an issue in my opinion. But sometimes you have to let players be themselves. You can't over-police them in that way. You know? And I think ultimately he really just wants to win. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. Trevor Lawrence, I don't think, is the number one pick. Um, I think if they're smart, they go get – I don't remember the kid's name, but there's an offensive tackle out of Oregon. Um, Offensive tackle out of Oregon who um, is projected as the number one pick, especially for one of these teams like this. So we'll see. But I think they should give Sam Donald a fair chance and go from there. You know, leave Trevor for the rest of us for, you know, say the Cowboys – you know, if that was to happen, I don't really don't. I can't explain how I would feel. If the Cowboys very, took very, Trevor, yes, I would be extremely disgusted. I I don't want to see that happen. I can't. The only way that would happen, I feel like y'all would have to move up. 
it really just depends on how the East shakes out. That's that's a whole different discussion we could have a different day. But True. I think it really depends on how the NFC East shakes out. Truly, if I'm the NFC East, um, any of those guys, I'm tanking as hard as I can. Because um, the unfortunate thing is we're all going to suck. You know, we're all going to be five, six. Some God bless the division winner could be a four-winner, four-win team. But you got to understand that the rest of us, whoever doesn't make the playoffs, is going to have those top ten spots. The guy who wins is going to be number 18 at best, middle of the pack of the draft, still with a four-win team, essentially garbage. So I'm the NFC East. I'm taking as hard as I can. Now, if the Cowboys somehow were to get Trevor Lawrence, I can't say I wouldn't be excited about it. Can't say I wouldn't be happy. But I would very much feel for Dak because that would be just the – the slap in the face that it would feel like it is, it would be monumental. Of course. Of course. I mean, just the, that would be just the way to end that year for him, that football year and and a career in Dallas. What a way for that to go, huh? I don't even know where he would go. Um, Somewhere to get paid. Here's the thing. He doesn't want to leave. I have every indication, at least it seems to me, he doesn't want to leave. But I think he is, in that same breath, very bound and determined to get what he's worth. Which, by all means, you know what you're worth. Go get paid. You know? I don't think he wants to leave. Um, Ooh, actually, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't know if he's saying he would like to see Dak in Cleveland or New York. I think he is. But I would actually, if, if Odell was to stay, because you know he puts up big numbers, I would be fascinated to see what he could do in Cleveland, if I'm being honest. It would be nice. They have plenty of good weapons. Um, you know, they have Jarvis and Odell, and they have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. I Joku. think they are, yes, and Joku. Um, we'll see how long he stays there. He, you know, he's been, the whole trade mill about him has been going on for a while now. Good. He needs to leave. They're not utilizing him well. I know his spot down. Boston could definitely use some of his talents. Absolutely. Foxborough? Oh, yeah. Like, hey, man, you're already playing in the cold in the winter. Just play in a fun place to play. It's a great pitch. Why not? Not that team you'll have currently. Yikes. He could be the number one target. It would be perfect for him. Get all the balls this way. He'd love it. But as far as Dak in Cleveland, I don't think it would necessarily work unless Kevin Stefanski would allow it to work. You know, he's always very big on the – he ran a lot of RPO when he was the coordinator for the Vikings with Kirk Cousins. Um, and it seems like, at least as far as I've watched, he does a lot of game management as far as his quarterbacks go. Baker Mayfield is only throwing for, like, you know, 200, 250 a game max – they're a lot. They're doing a lot of ground and pound on the on the ground, um, and you just don't do that with Dak. Dak is, you know, not that you have to just air it out for four fifty every game, but you know, you you utilize him. And I don't think they. It would be interesting to see if Kevin Stefanski would utilize him correctly, or if it would just go by the wayside. His talents. I'd like to see that, regardless. Like I said, I'd like to see Dak back in a Cowboys uniform, but 
we'll see how that goes. That'll do it for us today on Not The MJ Podcast. As always, I've been your host, Matthew Dvorak. With me, my co-host, Jeremy Dremeku. And that's all we got. Signing off till next time. See you guys. Peace.